Our uh, scripture reading today is the first seven verses of Isaiah 43. Um, it will be on the screen, but for today, I highly recommend that you use the uh, Pew Bibles that are right in front of you. Um, you can follow on the screen for the reading, but during the uh, preaching, you'll actually need to be able to see the whole passage all at once, or it would help. You don't have to, but it would be helpful. So we're looking at Isaiah 43. You see it's a little bit past halfway if you're having a hard time finding that book. Isaiah 43, the first seven verses, hear the word of the Lord. But now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, Jacob, he who formed you, Israel. Do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I give Egypt for your ransom, Cush and Seba in your stead, since you are precious and honored in my sight. And because I love you, I will give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Do not be afraid, for I am with you. I'll bring your children from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Bring my sons from afar and my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory, whom I formed and made. This is the word of the Lord. So I trust that you all noticed in PJ's prayer that he did an inclusio. No, eh? PJ, did you know you did an inclusio? Okay. You don't know what an inclusio is, do you? It's okay. I'll explain this. He started with, and this is my take home for the day, so I'm ready to leave, the slow motion fireworks of flowers coming in a bloom. Brilliant. Beautiful. As he was saying that, my mind went to, he's talking about fire and slow motion, and he's thanking God for this, and I'm thinking wildfires, which is what he ended with. He started and ended with similar illustrations that surrounded what he was talking about. Now, I'm telling you that because this passage that we're looking at today, and the reason I asked you to open your Bible is because the Bible is this ancient book, which sometimes confuses us because it's an ancient book, but it's actually the most brilliant book ever written, and every once in a while I clue into some of its brilliance and I see it without Bema even telling me what to look for, and then I get to present that to you, and today that's what we're doing. This passage is a work of art that has an amazing message, and that's what we're here to see. So, 1A, and I'll explain the 1A in a minute. Um, so, there's a lot of questions in this one. Some of them are rhetorical, which means I don't want you to answer, and some of them I do want you to answer. This one I do want you to answer, if you will. When was Israel formed? When was the nation of Israel formed? Anyone take a stab at that? Doesn't matter if you don't know. Just curious if... Say again? That's a good answer. When in history was Israel formed? What shaped them? The promise to Abraham, that was the start of them, yeah. That was their call into being. Yep, that's when they were started. So if you take it created there. So I would say created with the call to Abraham. And then when were they shaped? When did they become the people that they were meant to be? When were they given their marching orders? 
in the desert. Excellent. Hang on to that thought. It's going to come out along the way. Okay, so this is verse 1 that we're looking at here. Look at the words. Quick memorize them, or if you have it open in front of you, you can see the next section too. This is the last verse. Notice a couple of things. This is a rhetorical question. He's got the word created in there again. He's got the word formed in there again. And when you see the same words used in the first verse and the last verse, any Bama listeners here who know what I'm looking for here? Call it out. Chiasm. Yeah! I know it's not that exciting for most of us, but if you're a um, Bible structure geek, which I guess I'm becoming, then you get really excited if you find your own chiasm. Like normally if I tell you these things, I tell you, right? I got this from, from Bema and I'm just passing on what I learned from somebody else. I found this one all by myself and I'm so excited about that. You don't have to be, but I am, okay? That's all I want to say about that. Now, now that we know that the first and last verse are twins, we start looking for, well, what other parallels and what other similarities are along the way as we get to the middle. And in the end, we're going to find the middle. If you want to work ahead, go ahead and look at the passage and find the middle verse if you can, right? Because it's going to be our piece of gold. Otherwise, wait for me and I'll get you there eventually. So this is the structure we're looking for. You got 1A at the top that we read, and 1B this is the very last verse, and then it moves in 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B. There's actually a 4A and 4B, but I only had so much space. And then that's supposed to be an X. When you have two screens, it becomes, looks like I messed up my parentheses or something. It's an X, okay? X marks the spot. That's what we're looking for. Again, not that exciting, but the message, the stuff in there is. So after that beginning and ending, the very next thing that happens at the beginning, he says, uh, God has said, I've called you Israel or Jacob. I've called you and created you and formed you into being. And he says, do not fear, for I have redeemed you. I have restored you. I have summoned you by name. And you, are, and you are mine. And notice that I call this a very personal, communal word. And in North America, personal and communal tend to be far apart. And in the Bible, when you read something personal, it usually means communal as well. We just illustrated that today, right? So as um, Brian and Jake and Owen look at me remembering names, um, as they join us today, that's a very personal thing. We invite our families and, and, and they individually stand up here. But what we're talking about when we do that is they are now becoming part of this community. And so you make a vow as a community as well saying, this isn't just about an individual and their journey. Otherwise, they could have done this from home. This is about us together going on this journey. And so it's always done in this context so that we can embrace these people um, as part of the community. Most times in the Bible, when it says you, it's plural. Most time in the Bible, when we read you, as North Americans, we think it's individual, right? Try and correct that if you can. I don't know what else to say about that. Maybe you learn to use Southern U.S. language, y'all. When you read you, say y'all, because it's y'all. It's not just you, it's y'all of ya. Y'all of ya? Yeah, y'all of ya. That'll work. All right, I summon you by name. Now look at this. This is the ending, this, the 2B part. What is your name? Do not be afraid, for I am with you, says God. Everyone who is called by my name. My name. So when God summons you by name, he doesn't call you Bob or Joe or Ann or Sue or whatever your name is. He calls you my child. He calls you child of God. We are called collectively Christians, right? 
we are called collectively Mountain View. We're called by a collective name, and when God summons us by name, he doesn't say, I'm going to pick this one. No. He says, I call you folks. I call you community. I call you congregation. I call you my people to walk together and do these things, right? So again, when we baptize, we actually name the child by the name their parents gave him, and at the same time, we say, now, child of God, child of God. We've renamed you and put you into God's broader family, right? When God summons us by name, it's into that communal kind of setting. All right, to the threes. Now, this is a real question. So we're back at the tops, which means we're talking about Israel. They were formed, right? God says, I've redeemed you. And when they passed through the waters, what water did Israel pass through? The Red Sea. Now we're getting it. Way to go. And when they passed through the river, what river did they pass through? And what did they do in the middle? They walked and hung around the desert and complained. They did all kinds of things, right? That's their formation time in my mind, right? Who else came out of water and then went into the desert for an amount of 40? Jesus. Yeah, if you're ever stuck, just yell Jesus. It's probably the right answer. Way to go. Yes, right? So what Jesus does in his ministry, and the reason we don't just jump to his death and crucifixion, is that Jesus' life is being Israel in the best way you could possibly be Israel, all right? Jesus is the collective of Israel, if you will. That's how, how much of the New Testament is written. So what Jesus does is getting it right what um, his people messed up or mixed up along the way before that. So when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. When, you. when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And again, if you just open your Bible and say, hey, what does this say for me individually? What you're going to get is, yeah, if I go through some tough times, right, and, and maybe if I go kayaking, I'll be okay, or whatever, I'm going to go out in Lake Ontario in a storm because God has promised. No, he's not saying that. He's saying, my people, when I bring you into the places I need you to go, when I bring you into the challenges you need to experience, when I put you in that desert experience, I will bring you into it safely, I'll be with you along the way, and I'll take you through the other end into the promised land. And I would suggest to you that every single one of our lives is an Israel life, right? We are born and brought in through baptism or the waters of birth, if you will, right? We go through this journey of life that is sometimes a desert experience where we are blessed with things like manna, but also challenged by our own grumblings, right? But then, like we did on Monday, we celebrate going through that final door, through that fearful thing of having to walk through the river across, which is in every religion, by the way, that river to cross, into that final promised land, which we call heaven and God's full kingdom. Okay, so this isn't necessarily or mostly about your individual journey with Jesus and how he's going to save you in water circumstances, right? This is G Jesus calling all of us to this long journey. 3A still, because I'm still on 3A. Fire stories. So last week we did Pentecost, and the Pentecost is still on the wall, right? Those are our, our flame pictures. Today we're doing water. Water and fire are both the Holy Spirit, as we also learned last week, right? This is God saying, I am going to, with my spirit, be around you and surrounding you and showing you um, that I'm with you. And when you walk through the fire, you'll not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. Now, any stories that you know in the Bible where there were flames and nobody was burned? Yeah, I couldn't hear that. Yeah, Daniel, that's a great one. It's not relevant today, but thanks, it is exactly bang on. Another one. 
Moses in the burning bush. Perfect. That's how this whole journey started, right? When God was going to take his people through that first water, the Red Sea, he called Moses and he came. Moses came because there's this bush burning but not being burned up. All right. Harder ones in the um, in Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah. Say again? The prophets and Baal. Oh, yeah, Elijah and the prophets of Baal. Yes, another brilliant example of this. And that was a shadowing. So I'm going to make you write on this one because I'm not talking about Elijah. That's later. But that comes from the book of Leviticus where when God first did a sacrifice, which he called his people to do in the, in the tabernacle or in the community, he came down with fire and just burned it up. Nobody was consumed, just the offering, right? And last week, Numbers 11, we looked at, it starts with the people are grumbling and the fire burns around the edge of the camp. It's God going, I'm right here, be aware that I'm present, but nobody was consumed, right? And so there's this consistent image, I can tell you a few more. Um, There's this consistent image of God's people, right? walking through difficult circumstances, right, but also as they're doing it, seeing God's presence in fire and recognizing the presence of God, even that very presence on on, um, Mount Sinai. When he shows up, we see the fire, it's terrifying, it has potential to burn us, but we are not consumed because God is a loving God and a gracious God. All right, that's the three A's. Three B, this is on the bottom end of the passage. Gathering the scattered, I'll bring your children from the east and gather you from the rest. I'll say to the north, give them up, and to the south, do not hold them back. Right? And what we're doing here is, so at the the top of this passage, Israel's being formed in the desert and going into the promised land. That's their beginning journey. At the bottom of this passage, Isaiah is saying, you know how you mess a lot of things up and you got conquered and sent into exile and now you're scattered all over the world? This is Isaiah going, I'm going to bring them back. I formed you in the first place, God says, and I'm going to reform you. I'm going to grab you back. I'm going to redeem you. I'm going to regather you all in this place. Again, parallels 3A and 3B. Now, I'm doing 4A and B together because, one, they're really close together, and they're a really simple point. Now, they're a really complex point. Let me explain it to you. The words are, I give Egypt for your ransom, cushion Egypt in your stead, and the B part... I'll give people in exchange for you, nations in exchange for your life. Now think about that for a second. God is saying in these words, I'm, I'm giving the Egyptians as a ransom for you. I don't know about you, but that makes me a bit uncomfortable. I'm not excited about the idea that God might take other people and do something negative with them so that I can be in. And you say, well, that's not really necessarily relevant to us. Our theology holds this fun idea called predestination, God's choosing. It's a very difficult concept. And I want to suggest to you that as we think about it, whenever we think about it, we think about it really carefully. So that if the idea that God chooses and he chose, say, me, right, and in that choosing he didn't choose somebody else, if I don't feel some sort of internal deep angst about that, I probably don't understand what's going on here, and I don't understand God. Okay, let's just start right there, right? So anyone gleefully talking about predestination is missing something deeply. I'm just going to say that. Now, I was thinking about this passage, and I thought about the way it's said here, and then I was thinking, what is the 
picture we need to hang on to here that helps us see what's going on, because God does choose people, right? He has chosen us as his people. He's called us. That's what baptism and profession of faith are about. It's God choosing us to be this community. Where else do we get really excited when somebody chooses one person at the exclusion of all others? Marriage. Marriage. We are nailing it today. Yes. So next Saturday, Kristen Antonitis and Danny Zeter are getting married, and they're going to make vows, and those vows will say something to the effect of, I choose you at the exclusion of all others. And I think this might help us understand God's choosing of us. When God says, I choose you at the exclusion of all others, he goes on to say, and this is what that's for. And I'll tell you this, since not all of you are going to be at the wedding. When I do weddings, I almost always say this. It seems like today is all about you. It's that individualism thing again, right? And it is your day, and you did plan it, and you paid for it, and all that kind of fun stuff. However, understand this. The bond of love that God gives to any couple is for the purpose of them sharing that love with as many people as they possibly can. All right? So if you think your marriage, or if you think your call into the church, your, your marriage to Jesus, is all about you, and it's just as long as I have that, I don't need anything else, you completely miss what God's all about. What he's saying is, I choose you, and I even exclude others in this relationship. I am so focused on you because I want to be in a relationship with you that transforms the way other people see you and me and us and life and ironically then draws them right back into that community. So, if there is such a thing as predestination, if that's a good term for us to use, if God has chosen us, this is why. He's chosen you into this relationship, and he wants you to be exclusively his partner in this world, focused on him, so that you can bless as many people as you possibly can. The more you lean into God choosing you, the more you need to lean into choosing and inviting and drawing other people in. If you make it just about you, you've missed the point of God's choosing. Clear enough? Good. All right, now, the moment we've all been waiting for, the X. Right in the middle of it all, the focal point, marked with an X. Since you are precious and honored in my sight, and because I love you. That's God's vow. That's God's personal vow to you. He says, I love you. Right? And God is amazing because he can take this exclusive vow of marriage with us and do it with all of us, right? Because he does it communally. He does it with his people. He does it with his world. He says, I love you. You're precious to me, right? We often get caught up in, in the outsides of this passage where first the people have to be formed and they complain in the, in the desert, right? And we say, wow, there's this cycle of complaint after complaint after complaint, right? Or we focus on how we live. We go, we got to keep reminding ourselves of how sinful we are. And we said, I say, yeah, you got to be aware of that. But the thing you really need to focus on, and that's why it's the X in the middle of this picture, is how much God loves you. Because you know what's going to transform the way you live? You know what's going to weed out sin in your life? Knowing how much God loves you. Knowing how sinful you are has been shown to work this way. If I get obsessed with the fact that, man, I can't stop swearing, right? And then I swear about how I'm swearing so much. And then I get caught in this cycle, and then I feel horrible about myself because that's... But if I swear, this is just an illustration, I've never sworn in my life. <laughs> if, if when I swear God or someone representing God comes to me and shows me love, healing, forgiveness, acceptance, right? Not of the swearing, but of me. Then I'm starting to go, wow, they like me anyway. 
And isn't that the truth of every one of our journeys? That you need to be liked anyway, in spite of a few things, right? And that our main objective is to hit the X right on the spot that it's meant to be, which is God wants to tell you you're precious and honored in my sight, and I love you. And you know that God knows their whole story, right? This is right in the middle of Isaiah, which is a messy, messy book, right? And he's going, I know, I know your story. This is the thing I'm going to do. I am going to gather you. I'm going to form you. I'm going to baptize you. I'm going to hear your profession. I'm going to give my spirit upon you because I love you. And that's the final word, and that's what's going to make it all right in the end. Hang on to that love, receive that love, and share that love whenever you can. That's your marriage vow with God. I thought I should summarize this in case it was a whole bunch of stuff. It's a long summary, so maybe it's not even helpful. God loves us so much that he wants to have us join him in an amazing, exclusive partnership that blesses anyone and everyone. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you that you are love. Thank you that you showed love. Thank you that you invite us into this love relationship with you and the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we pray, Lord Jesus, that as we experience your love, it may overflow from us into the lives of others, that we may be people who love in all circumstances and as deeply as possible. We pray, Lord Jesus, that this dynamic of us feeling and experiencing your incredible love for us would draw us into a place where, as we know that, we also know that it's a message that can be shared and lived and shown through us into the lives of others. Guide us, we pray, each step of the way. In your holy name, amen.